We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Away we go. Episode 202 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, December 7th, 2021, the day after one of the most incredible games in Monday Night Football history. An incredible game in this way. In a key AFC East showdown, the New England Patriots won at the Buffalo Bills 14 10. By finishing with just three pass attempts. Yeah, the Patriots in an NFL regular season game in the year 2021 won despite totaling three pass attempts. So much for the NFL being a passing league. Uh, Patriots rookie quarterback Mac Jones went two of three for 19 yards. And the Pats as a team finished with 46 official carries for 222 yards and a touchdown. Bill Belichick is the greatest head coach in NFL history for many reasons. Among them is that he does whatever is necessary to win a given game. He does not care what he must do to win a given game. He will tape you while you're practicing to win a given game. But that's another story. But Bill Belichick never gets caught up in, are we a passing team? Are we a running team? Do we not need to be balanced in terms of our play calling? None of that matters to Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick does whatever he needs to do to beat a given opponent. Throw the ball 50 times, fine. Throw the ball three times, fine. And that's exactly what happened on Monday night. Interesting to see that, right, given all of the talk recently regarding our team, 
the Washington football team running the ball so much. Pats now 9-4. and four. They have a game-and-a-half lead atop the AFC East on the Bills, who fell to 7-5. and five. The Pats have won seven consecutive games. Pats are the hottest team in the AFC. Our team, the Washington football team, has won four consecutive games. It is the hottest team in the NFC. Yes, no NFC team has a current winning streak as lengthy as the one possessed by Washington as we speak. And whereas the Pats and Bills played a big AFC East game on Monday night, Washington and the Dallas Cowboys will play a big NFC East game this Sunday afternoon. It is Dallas week, my friends, and welcome to a Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the most comprehensive Washington, D.C. sports podcast that there is, especially regarding the Washington football team. Next segment, I'm going to spend some time discussing the opportunity that is this Sunday's big game against the Cowboys. Six and six Washington facing the eight and four and NFC East leading Cowboys at FedEx Field Sunday afternoon at one. A big spot for Washington in so many ways. Also on the show, in-depth reaction to very encouraging injury news for the Washington football team on Monday, as it turns out that Logan Thomas apparently did not suffer a torn ACL in the 17-15 win at the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday. An outstanding development for Washington, and Washington could get back both Montez Sweat and Landon Collins for Sunday's game against the Cowboys. There was a lot to sort through from Ron Rivera's day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon. Sort through it, we shall, on this show, including what I thought were very telling comments from Ron on the players who have seen increased playing time with Montez Sweat and Chase Young on the reserve injured list. Wait till you hear how Ron talked about the likes of James Smith-Williams and Casey Tuhill and Daniel Wise. Uh, Let's see if what stood out to me stands out to you. Also on the show, I'll talk Capitals and Wizards off games for those teams on Monday night. For the Caps, their first non-regulation win of the 2021-2022 NHL regular season. A 4-3 shootout win over the Anaheim Ducks at Capital One Arena, despite the Caps dealing with a COVID-19 situation right now. For the Wizards, their first three-game losing streak of the 2021-2022 NBA regular season. Yeah, the Wizards have cooled off quite a bit since their 10-3 start to the season. A 116-110 loss at the Indiana Pacers on Monday night, as the Wizards, again, were largely non-competitive. That final score does not tell an accurate story of that game. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. So I have received quite a bit of feedback on this issue of me saying the episode number at the beginning of each show. Uh, This off the suggestion that I retire the practice from the great Howard Gutman, the former United States ambassador to Belgium and a loyal listener of the Al Galdi podcast. Email from Joel Charney, writes Joel, no worries whatsoever on opening with the episode number. It helps ground the listener and testifies to what you've achieved. Email from Michael, regarding using the episode number at the beginning of each episode, I vote meh. Who cares? It's cute. If you like it and it makes you happy, then you should do it. It has no impact on the product. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that it makes me happy. It's just something that I do. Uh, But thanks for that, Michael. 
Uh, but yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned like it has no impact on the product. I mean, what are we talking about exactly? Like one second of content per show in me saying the episode number. Email from another Michael. Michael King uh, writes this, Michael. I for sure have listened to every pod. I love the numbers. Appeals to my OCD as well. Your leaving radio has been a blessing for me. Please keep the numbers. Uh, email from Brett Desmo Williams writes, Brett, as for the episode number, I enjoy it for a couple of reasons. First, as you stated, it offers an anchor with which I can find a reference, especially when you note a pass point with episode number. I have to admit, though, I think I like it more because it feels so very authentically Galdi to do it. I hate to think I'm glad someone lost his or her job, but as a longtime lover of The Morning Blitz in all of its ever-changing iterations, I love this pod so much more. We, you and I, get ready for work together every day, and the pod is so much more personal than the radio show could ever be. Here's to a four-digit pod show count and more. Well, thank you for that, Brett. Uh, very nice of you to write that. Uh, yeah, so I'd say that the feedback so far is in favor of keeping the episode number proclamations, but we'll see if that feedback continues. Uh, as for feedback on the Washington football team, email from Dr. Sabah on who else? Taylor Heineke, uh, right, Sabah. Al, as you well know, I am a huge Heineke believer. So after these last four games, parentheses, wins, I have fallen even more in football love with my man Taylor. I feel even more sure he is our QB1 now and in the future. So I want the Redskins to, at the end of the year, offer Heineke a five-year deal for $15 million per year and with $50 million guaranteed. This is cheap for a starting NFL quarterback. We get a deal before price rises, parentheses, like Kirk Cousins, and I think Heineke would take the deal to lock in generational wealth. Am I crazy? Please let me know what you think. As always, Al, I love your podcast and listen daily. Keep up the great work. You are a franchise podcaster. Well, thank you, Sabah. Very nice of you to say that. So a very interesting and aggressive idea from Sabah. Uh, here's my take. So if Heineke is just like lights out the rest of Washington's season, and we end the season really truly believing that he is Washington's franchise quarterback, and there isn't that much realistic debate. Uh, I would say, yeah, go ahead and make that contractual offer that you outlined. But if anything less than the scenario that I just laid out there happens, I would say no. Uh, don't make the offer that you're suggesting. Why? Because you don't have to. Remember, Washington this past February re-signed Taylor Heineke to a two-year contract. He had been set to be a restricted free agent. Washington did not have to re-sign Heineke to a two-year contract, could have just re-signed him to a restricted free agent tender, could have just done a one-year deal, but Washington instead opted for a two-year deal. And this was a really smart move. That made sense for both sides. I mean, for Heineke, he got some more money, which he had never really made in his NFL career. For Washington, you got yourself some insurance in the event that Looky, looky, exactly what's happening this season happened, that Heineke proved himself to be more than a flash in the pan, more than just some cutesy little story uh, from which you could get, you know, one start in an NFL postseason. A one-year deal would have resulted in Taylor Heineke being an unrestricted free agent 
this coming offseason. And as we learned with Kirky, uh, we know how that can go. This two-year deal means that Heineke is under contract for next season and at a very cheap price. Washington doesn't have to do anything with Heineke contractually this coming offseason. Now, like I said, if Heineke is just outstanding the rest of the season and it becomes clear that he should be Washington's QB1 for years to come, then yes, something like what Sabah outlined would make sense. But if Heineke is, say, good the rest of the season, but maybe there are a few bad games sprinkled in and Washington likes Heineke but still has some concerns and Washington does really like some of the quarterbacks available in the 2022 NFL draft, then just write out the Heineke contract. Washington did a really smart thing in re-signing Heineke to that two-year deal this past offseason. I talked about that at the time on the podcast. And so to me, there's no need to undo the benefit of having made that smart move by giving them $15 million per year and $50 million guaranteed when you don't have to. Even though, yes, as Sabah said, that would be a bargain contract for a franchise quarterback. There's no pressure on Washington with Heineke contractually. This, in a lot of ways, is the anti-Kirk situation. You know, the gun is not to Washington's head to get something done this offseason. Washington, unlike what was the case with Kirky, uh, has acted in a forward-thinking manner with Taylor Heineke. I'm a little bit more process-oriented. Yes, Kirk. Hello. Thank you. Well, speaking of forward-thinking, uh, you want to be forward-thinking regarding your health, right? You want to be ahead of the curve when it comes to your health, including the health of your skin. Skin cancer is the most common of all cancers. In fact, skin cancer accounts for nearly half of all cancer cases in the United States. If you have concerns about your skin, if you are dealing with skin cancer, if you have had skin cancer and haven't seen a doctor in a while, always know that Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Washington football team fan and listener of this podcast. I know that Dr. Verghese is fired up for Dallas Week. And operating under the direction of Dr. George Verghese is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. Dr. Verghese and his team offer state-of-the-art treatments for skin cancer, including something that's a game changer, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is safe, effective, and non-surgical. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects, cosmetic and otherwise, that come with surgery. You have options. SRT is an option, and Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer the option of SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301 396 3401. Make sure that you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401, or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. 
All right. So one of the bigger indictments to me of what the team currently known as the Washington football team has been since the end of the team's glory days, since the end of the 1992 season, is the constant clinging to those glory days. Now, make no mistake, the glory days were, well, glorious. Uh, What Washington did from 1982 through 1992 was spectacular. Uh, Washington over those 11 seasons, won three Super Bowls, won four NFC championships, and made the playoffs eight times. Eight postseason appearances in 11 seasons. Uh, all of that should never be forgotten. But 1982 through 1992 was a long time ago. And the lack of success for the franchise since the start of the 1993 season has been pathetic. Okay, like, let's just say it like it is. And we all get that it has been pathetic, this lack of success. And because there has been this lack of success, there has continued to be this reminiscing of the glory days and of the few good days since the glory days that becomes almost comical. Uh, For those of you who remember the television show Married with Children uh, used to air on Fox on Sunday nights. Ed O'Neill's all-time great character on the show, Al Bundy, used to constantly bring up that he once scored four touchdowns in a game in high school. Scored four touchdowns in a game for Pokai. And that became this running bit on the show as Al, who didn't have a lot going for him in life, would constantly bring up, hey, remember, I once scored four touchdowns in a game in high school. And that's what the continued reminiscing of the glory days and of the few good days since the glory days have felt like to me at times with the team currently known as the Washington football team. You almost want to say, okay, we get it. There were some really good times back in the day. Can we please now create some new good times? Well, this Sunday at FedEx Field is an opportunity for the Washington football team to create a new good time. Washington has won four consecutive games. Washington has gone from two and six to six and six. And Washington this Sunday is facing it's our tribal, the 8-4 and four, and NFC East leading Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field, 1 p.m. kickoff. To those who, when it comes to the Washington-Dallas rivalry, are sick and tired of the reminiscing, you know, are sick and tired of hearing about the NFC Championship game for the 1972 season and the NFC Championship game for the 1982 season and the famous no Danny no game in the 1983 season and the Mark Brunel Santana Moss Monday Night Miracle of 2005 and the Sean Taylor Troy Vincent Miracle win over the Cowboys in 2006. This Sunday is a chance for a new much more current great memory for Washington in its rivalry with the Cowboys. This is an opportunity to create a new good time, a new glory day. What kind of a crowd are we going to have at FedEx Field on Sunday? Will we have a FedEx Field that is packed with loud and fired up Washington football team fans? Or will we have a FedEx Field that is sparsely filled and that has way too many Cowboys fans? Uh, Now, my understanding is that tickets for this game aren't exactly dirt cheap. And uh, while the Washington football team is campaigning rather hard to have a jam-packed FedEx field with Washington football team fans on Sunday, the prices for tickets aren't exactly what most people would want. But you tell me 
if in fact that's the case. Look, as I've been telling you on the podcast, if you want to go to the game, go to tickpick.com slash Galdi right now to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. TickPick is great. Uh, TickPick is a site that got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. So just go to that site, tickpick.com slash Galdi, T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K.com slash Galdi. Save yourself some money. Get yourself Washington football team tickets for Sunday against the Cowboys, and you don't have to worry about any of those ridiculous service fees that the other ticket sites charge. You see, I want to at least do my part to try to fill up FedEx Field with Washington football team fans. But yeah, what kind of a crowd will we have at FedEx Field on Sunday? I think that's a very intriguing question. Ron Rivera on Sunday night at his postgame press conference that followed Washington's 17-15 win at the Las Vegas Raiders did appeal to you, the Washington football team fan. Here was that. We've got five divisional games in a row, okay? We've got to take them one at a time, okay? We're playing the division leader twice. This is the first one. We, we, we need everybody. All hands on deck. Let's roll. All right. So Ron Rivera on Sunday night, quote, we need everybody. All hands on deck. Let's roll. End quote. Ron on Monday afternoon. It is day after the game Zoom press conference. Here was Ron on Monday on what having a packed FedEx field on Sunday against the Cowboys would mean. You know, it, it, it creates energy that the players can play to. You know, it was kind of odd last year not having fans. And when we got down that stretch, when we, when we really, you know, could have used a little energy, it would have been great to have had them then. It really would have because, you know, we were fighting for a playoff position. Uh, we were able to accomplish it. I can only imagine what it would have been in that first round against Tampa Bay. I'm not saying we'd have won, but it had been it had been interesting and fun to see what would happen and how it would have meant something to us having uh, having our folks up in the, in the stands cheering us on and how the guys would have reacted. That is an interesting what if. What if there had been fans at FedEx Field for that loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the wild card round of the NFL playoffs last January? You know, FedEx Field ended up being one of the few venues last NFL postseason that did not have fans in attendance. Ultimately, 10 of the 13 games in the 2021 NFL playoffs had fans in attendance. Sunday is a huge game for Washington, in part because Sunday's game is a chance for Washington to give its fans something that the franchise has given very little of over the last 30 years, a truly big home win. I mean, think about all of the awful losses for Washington at home over the last 30 years, especially over the last 25 years or so, especially in the life of FedEx Field. So many hideous Washington losses at FedEx Field in the history of that stadium. Wouldn't it be nice to have a lovely memory generated by a Washington win over the Cowboys at FedEx Field this Sunday? There have been so few big home wins for Washington since the end of the glory days, since the start of the 1993 season. This Sunday really is a chance for Washington to author a big home win, to reward the fans. As Vinny Serrato once said, for the fans. For the fans. Yes, Vinny, for the fans. But of course, this game for Washington against the Cowboys at FedEx Field this Sunday is big from a standings standpoint too. Uh, Washington with a win would move to within a game of the NFC East leading Cowboys. Yes, 
the same Washington football team that not long ago was 2-6 and six would be within a game of leading the division well into the month of December with a win over the Cowboys at FedEx Field on Sunday. Washington with a win would be 7-6. and six. The Cowboys with a loss would be 8-5. and five. You know by now that all of Washington's remaining five regular season games are NFC East games. This game on Sunday marks the start of a stretch of Washington facing the Cowboys twice in three weeks. So Washington will be at the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football the day after Christmas. Ron Rivera on Monday on where Washington is at as it heads into the five-game NFC East round robin, as Ron has called it. We're at the, the part where we control it. I mean, for ourselves, for us, what's going to happen to, to the Washington football team is now in our hands. We go out and play the way we're capable of. We give ourselves a chance. And, and that's where we wanted to be. Um, that's one of the things we talked about when the schedule first came out. Because if you can get to this point and, and, and you have a chance, you have an opportunity, now you've got to make the best of it. Yeah, and Washington now is in possession of the number six seed in the NFC. You have three wild card spots in each conference. Those spots are seeds five through seven. Washington is up to being the number six seed in the NFC. A number of results have broken Washington's way in recent weeks in terms of other teams in NFC wild card contention losing. And so you have Washington and the San Francisco 49ers at six and six. But Washington right now is the number six seed in the NFC. And the Niners right now are the number seven seed in the NFC because Washington beats the Niners in the tiebreaker of conference record. Uh, Washington is five and two versus NFC teams. The Niners are just five and five versus NFC teams. That's another incentive, by the way, for Washington to beat the Cowboys, a win would improve Washington to a sparkling 6-2 and two versus NFC teams this season. That would be massive for tiebreaker purposes, and that would surely lead to another great postgame locker room celebration for the Washington football team. I tell you, the videos of these postgame locker room celebrations during Washington's four-game winning streak have been great. We've certainly had a lot of fun with them on this podcast. The throwing of the stone at the whiteboard in Washington's locker room, uh, that throwing of the stone has become a tradition unlike any other. And the subcommunication of all of this is that this is a Washington football team on which people seem to like each other. You know, this idea of infighting people not getting along. I mean, I know winning masks everything, but you do get the sense, at least with those videos, that this is a team on which the players like each other and the coaches like the players and people are getting along. And it's great to see that. Uh, Rod Rivera on Monday on this being a close-knit Washington football team. I think one of the really neat things that, that has happened is that is that the guys are feeding off each other's energy, more so than anything else. And they're looking for to each other to carry each other, bring each other together. And I think that's what's important. And, and you do see the bonding. You do see it, you know, when, when, when those guys, you know, go out to dinner together, you know, um, when, when we get to where we're, we're staying, you know, they, they, there's, you know, four guys, three guys, two guys, you know, they're hanging out. They're, they're developing the relationships that you need to go forward as a football team. And, and that has been really cool to watch the growth, you know, the locker room stuff, the stuff that, you know, that we're doing as far as motivation, you know, it, it, to me, it's it's we're we're just working off of a very simple theme, and, and that's really the the challenges. You know, the, the David versus Goliath challenges, and it has kind of felt that way, obviously coming from, you know, from from two and six, and so it's something we continue to build on, 
And I know the guys appreciate it. You know, there, there's an excitement about it um, because of so many guys have had to step up and play. And that's also the other thing, because I think the teammates appreciate the way guys are preparing and getting ready to play, how they're holding each other accountable during practice. About this, you know, you see the defensive guys about running onto the field, running after the ball, finishing plays. You know, you see the offensive guys, you know, and again, the, the offensive line, you know, as far as the offense is concerned, is, is, is a great group and they push each other to, you know, the pass is thrown and they're covering downfield. They're hustling back to the huddle. They're hustling to the line scrimmage ready to play. How, how you know, when, 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 when one of the offensive guys make a play, how they all rally around each other. So those are the things that, that I think has really helped this, this growth of this team in terms of just maturing as a unit. Yeah, and we know by now that maturity is a big thing with Ron Rivera. He has talked about maturity a lot since the end of last season. Up next, much more on the Washington football team, including surprisingly good news on the Logan Thomas injury. Also on the way, could Montez Sweat be back for Sunday's game against the Cowboys? And if so, what kind of a Montez Sweat will we see? Very telling comments from Ron Rivera on Monday on how the Montez Sweat and Chase Young replacements have been doing. I'll get to that and much more after this. All right, guys, the Washington football team is surging. Four consecutive wins has gone from two and six to six and six, and it is Dallas week. There's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find tickets to Washington versus the Cowboys at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon at one. That's because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. You see, TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. And so if you are looking to attend Washington versus the NFC East leading Cowboys at FedEx Field this Sunday, TickPick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. No more of those ridiculous service fees. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K dot com slash Galdi. T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K dot com slash Galdi. TickPick.com slash Galdi. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. We continue the Washington football team conversation. Washington, four consecutive wins from two and six to six and six, home to the eight and four and NFC East leading Dallas Cowboys this Sunday afternoon at one. So if you're listening to this podcast, you are a sports fan to at least some degree. Presumably, you're a football fan to at least some degree. And so ask yourself this question whenever you read or hear that a football player is feared, to have suffered a serious knee injury. What inevitably ends up being the case? He suffered a serious knee injury, right? Like whenever someone of some repute reports that player X is feared to have suffered a torn ACL, like nine times out of 10, that player ends up having suffered the torn ACL. I don't know if the data backs that up. I'm just telling you that that's how it feels. And so on Sunday night, when we had multiple reports that the fear was that Logan Thomas in the fourth quarter of the Washington football team's 17-15 win at the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday had suffered a torn ACL. Well, I don't know about you, but I budgeted for no more Logan Thomas for the Washington football team in the 2021 season. And that's essentially how I talked about Logan Thomas's situation on Monday's show, episode 201. Now, I did leave open the possibility that we might get some good news on Logan Thomas on Monday, just because you never know, but did I expect good news regarding Logan Thomas's health on Monday? Heck no. And yet, and yet, what did we get on Monday? Good news, it appears, regarding Logan Thomas. This was Ron Rivera at his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon on the Logan Thomas injury situation. You know, the MRI results came back. Um, they were better than we had anticipated. Um, and, you know, there, there's obviously there is some damage there. It's not as extensive as first thought. So we're still, you know, we're, we're sending for a little more, a um, few more tests just to make sure. And uh, we'll go from there. Um, so we're still waiting on, on a little bit more of evaluation. But it, it is a little bit more positive than first anticipated. All right, so excellent news. Washington may not have lost Logan Thomas for the rest of this season, to say nothing of him missing time next season because a torn ACL suffered in December almost certainly impacts your availability 
for the following September. But what exactly are we dealing with regarding Logan's knee? Did he, in fact, not tear the ACL? Um, that right now is the thing that seems to be positive. Is that he and we're just waiting to get confirmation and we want to make sure we don't want to get ahead of it or anything like that. Okay. So, you know, please just, just understand that. Wow. So it appears as if Logan Thomas did not suffer a torn ACL on Sunday. Just tremendous news. I mean, I'm almost not sure how to react to this because it feels like this never happens with Washington. Shockingly good injury news. But that is, in fact, what we got on Monday regarding Logan Thomas. Now, I guess it's not 100% certain that he didn't tear the ACL. And you could sort of sense from Ron Rivera that he didn't want to jinx anything. But it does appear as if Washington dodged what would have been a brutal blow. A, Logan Thomas is really good. We saw that in the win at the Raiders on Sunday, right? We saw that on Logan Thomas's touchdown catch on Sunday. Taylor Heineke, first quarter, first and goal, seven-yard under center play action touchdown pass to Logan Thomas, who was wide open in the end zone and made a great catch with his right hand of a high throw. Logan in the game had three receptions for 48 yards and a touchdown on five targets and playing on 64% of Washington's offensive snaps. B, Logan Thomas just came back from injury. Washington now two Mondays ago, November 29th, hours before the 17-15 win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football, activated Logan Thomas from the reserve injured list. He'd been on that since October 6th due to a hamstring injury that he suffered in the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four. Logan Thomas missed six consecutive games because of that hamstring injury. So he misses the six games, comes back for two games, and in that second game back, suffers this knee injury. But it was awful that this happened to Logan Thomas on Sunday. That was a big part of the pain of all this. Like, he just got back from serious injury, and now he just suffered an even more serious injury, or so we thought. See, remember, Washington has been without its number two tight end, Ricky Seals-Jones. He, for the win at the Raiders, was inactive for a third consecutive game due to a hip injury that he dealt with in the win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in Week 10. Although Washington has been getting nice play from John Bates. Bates in the win at the Raiders, three receptions for 42 yards on four targets and playing on 57% of Washington's offensive snaps. Now, he did have a drop, but he earned the second best overall grade for pro football focus for any Washington player in the game. And he had the best overall grade per PFF for any Washington offensive player in the game. Bates' overall grade per PFF for the game, 86.8. That's really good. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. And John Bates's run blocking grade for the game was an outstanding 95.0. So good stuff from John Bates. But no doubt, uh, you want all the help you can get at this point as Washington is making this playoff push. And so, yeah, losing Logan Thomas to a torn ACL would have hurt Washington on multiple levels. So if, in fact, Logan Thomas did not suffer a torn ACL on Sunday, that's great news. Now, as for how he got hurt, so fourth quarter, Antonio Gibson, a second and two, eight-yard under center handoff run. It was on that run that Logan Thomas suffered this knee injury. Logan took a low block from Raiders edge defender and Maryland product, Yannick Ngakwe. Now, as I said on Monday's show, while the block looked dirty, the block is allowed in what is called the tight end box 
from operations.nfl.com. Quote, new for 2021, the tight end box is defined as the area two yards outside of the normal tackle position and extends five yards on either side of the line of scrimmage. Blocks below the waist during a scrimmage down prior to a change of possession are prohibited by players from either team unless the contact occurs within the tight end box. And quote, this contact between Logan Thomas and Yannick Ngakwe occurred within the tight end box. Here was Ron Rivera on Monday on the hit that injured Logan Thomas. You know, I thought the play was avoidable. It, it was unfortunate that, that the hit occurred and it was low. Um, you know, as a defender, you'd like to see him use his hands upon impact. I mean, it's an unfortunate play, but for the most part, as far as I was concerned, it, I, I just felt that it was something that was avoidable. All right. So a very diplomatic answer right there from Ron Rivera calling the hit on Logan Thomas avoidable. But bottom line, really encouraging news regarding Logan Thomas on Monday. And that wasn't all in terms of encouraging injury news for Washington on Monday. Yeah, so we, during Ron Rivera's day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon, got the good Logan Thomas news, and we learned that Montez Sweat could be back for this Sunday afternoon's huge game for the Washington football team against the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field at 1. So Montez Sweat has been on the reserve injured list since November 13th due to a fractured jaw that he suffered in the loss at the Denver Broncos in Week 8. Montez Sweat was expected to miss four to six weeks. Well, that game at the Broncos was on Halloween, was on October 31st. So it has been well over a month since Montez Sweat suffered the fractured jaw. So Sweat could be back for the big game against the Cowboys. And Landon Collins could be back for that game too. Uh, Landon Collins was inactive for the 17-15 win at the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday due to a foot injury that he suffered in the fourth quarter of the win over the Seattle Seahawks at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football in Week 12. Ron Rivera, at his day after the game Zoom press conference on Monday afternoon, on Montez Sweat and Landon Collins potentially practicing on Wednesday when Washington will begin its practice week for Sunday against the Cowboys. My understanding is, as far as Montez is concerned, um, you know, if, as we're waiting on the okay. Once we get the okay, he should be out there on Wednesday. And the same thing with Landon. Uh, Landon came in, got treatment. He looked actually very good. Um, I know the doctors are going to take another take take another look at him, and we're going to continue to monitor that for the next couple of days. And and but I I am anticipating, got my fingers crossed, that he is cleared for uh, Wednesday's practice. All righty. So all kinds of good injury news from Ron Rivera at his day after the game Zoom presser on Monday. Logan Thomas may well have avoided season-ending injury, and both Montez Sweat and Landon Collins could be back practicing as soon as Wednesday. You know, normally Ron doesn't like to talk about injury stuff at these press conferences, but Don Ron was more than willing to share uh, the good news on Monday. Don Ron was more than willing to spread the gospel of good injury news for the Washington football team on Monday. It remains amazing that Washington's best four defensive games this season have all come with Montez Sweat being out for all four of the games and with Chase Young being out for essentially three and a half of the four games. And, you know, that's not to say that Washington is better off 
without those guys. But that is to say that those guys have had so-so seasons by those guys' standards. And that is to say that defense in football is about a lot more than just individual talent, especially if the great individual talents aren't adhering to the defensive scheme. And that is to say that in today's pass-happy NFL, the play of defensive backs matters a lot. And so when Washington's secondary was struggling during Washington's 2-6 and six start, it sometimes didn't matter what the defensive lineman did. And now that Washington's secondary is playing so much better during the four-game winning streak, Washington can overcome being without a Chase Young and a Montez Sweat. Playing in place of those guys have been the likes of James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, and also Daniel Wise. Uh, James Smith-Williams in the win at the Raiders played on 75% of Washington's defensive snaps. Casey Tuhill in the win at the Raiders played on 61% of Washington's defensive snaps. And Daniel Wise in the win at the Raiders played on 41% of Washington's defensive snaps. These are not household names, obviously. James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, Daniel Wise, Uh, You also have two other guys in the mix uh, with Chase Young and Montez Sweat being on the reserve injured list. Shaka Tony and Boonmi Rotimi. Uh, Shaka Tony in the win at the Raiders played on just five of Washington's defensive snaps. Boonmi Rotimi in the win at the Raiders played on 15% of Washington's defensive snaps. Again, not exactly household names. James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, Daniel Wise, Shaka Tony, Bunmi Rotimi. Uh, here was Ron Rivera on Monday on how those first three guys, James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, and Daniel Wise are doing. Um, those three guys really are, are very steady, as I've said before, blue-collar style workers. You know, they're the kind of guys that are just going to, they're going to, they're going to go along. They're going to, they're going to, be very diligent in what they do. They're going to they're be very strict. You're not going to get a lot of spectacular plays out of them as much as you're going to get just consistent play, and that's how they've been. And, and, you know, we've been able to keep that going for us. The guys that have really stepped up and played well has been the inside charge. Those guys have really created some havoc. We had a couple of young guys that got a couple more of an opportunity, and, and you saw them in those critical situations at the end of the game. You know, Shaka Tony and 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 Rotimi Bumi. I, I apologize for the name. Um, I know I messed it up. But I apologize. Um, but those two young guys are guys that bring some juice, some speed off the edge, and they kind of got an opportunity to try and impact uh, those last couple of plays as well. So they, they've been very solid in terms of their production. Um, you know, um, we've seen a couple of spectacular plays that uh, Shaka has made, and and he's, uh, of all the young guys, I think he's a guy that brings a little extra juice for us. All right, so two things from that cut from Ron. Number one, he again struggled with saying the name Bunmi Rotimi. Uh, And in fact, Ron reversed the name. Ron called him Rotimi Bunmi. Here you go. Rotimi Bunmi? (laughs) Yeah. Ron, the brother's name is Bunmi Rotimi, not Rotimi Bunmi. Jeez. Rotimi Bunmi? That's sort of like how Ron will call James Smith-Williams James William Smith. But anyway, also in that cut from Ron was him saying that James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, and Daniel Wise are very steady, blue-collar style workers, 
they're the kind of guys who are going to go along, are going to be very strict. Translation, those guys adhere to the defensive scheme. Those guys play the defensive scheme as it is intended to be played, unlike Chase Young and Montez Sweat. I thought that that was as clear as could be in that cut from Ron. Here was that portion of the cut. Um, those three guys really are, are very steady, as I've said before, blue-collar style workers. You know, they're the kind of guys that are just going to they're going to they're going to go along. They're going to they're going to be very diligent in what they do. They're going to they're going to be very strict. You're not going to get a lot of spectacular plays out of them as much as you're going to get just consistent play. And that's how they've been. Yeah, Ron said it without saying it. James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, and Daniel Wise stick to the defensive scheme, unlike Chase Young and Montez Sweat. If Montez Sweat is back for this Sunday against the Cowboys, it's going to be really interesting to see if he displays more scheme adherence. Because you got to think that he and Chase Young have been humbled by all of this, to at least some extent. I mean, again, Washington's best four defensive games this season have all come with Montez Sweat being out for all four of the games and with Chase Young being out for essentially three and a half of the four games. And when we say Washington's best four defensive games of the season, it's not even debatable whether these four games that make up the four-game winning streak have been Washington's best four defensive games of the season. Unequivocally, that has been the case, and it has been the case, again, despite Washington playing the entirety of the four-game winning streak without Montez Sweat and playing the bulk of the four-game winning streak without Chase Young. While we're discussing Washington's defensive front, uh, something we learned on Monday morning with the releasing of the snap counts from Washington's win at the Raiders was that Jonathan Allen's playing time was down. Allen in the win at the Raiders played on just 53% of Washington's defensive snaps. In terms of Washington's other interior defensive linemen, Deron Payne played on 80% of Washington's defensive snaps. Deron Payne, by the way, was the highest graded Washington player in the game for Pro Football Focus. Payne finished with an overall grade per PFF of 89.4. PFF grades were on a scale of 0 to 100. But Payne played on 80% of Washington's defensive snaps. Matt Ioannidis played on 56% of Washington's defensive snaps. And Tim Settle played on just five of Washington's defensive snaps. Boy, Tim Settle is barely playing these days. But Jonathan Allen, who of course is having a great season, only played on 53% of Washington's defensive snaps. And it turns out that there's a good reason for that. Ron Rivera on Monday. Yeah, John... He finished the game obviously, and 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 thought he performed very well. And it wasn't just it was just a little mind growing from what I understand. But he was able to finish the game, and uh, you know, just we'll see how he is today. And and when I get the medical report at three thirty, I'll have a better idea as to where he is. So for the most part, though, he um, you know, he obviously finished the game, played well. He did a couple of really good things, and you know, he's continuing to play uh, uh, top notch football for sure for us. All right, so Jonathan Allen was dealing with a groin injury. Uh, That was not made known during the game, but we now know that that was the case. Uh, I tell you, the Washington football team this season 
really has done a great job of overcoming injuries. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Curtis Samuel, Logan Thomas, Samuel Cosme, Chase Roulier, Brandon Sheriff, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, and so many other key Washington players have missed significant time this season due to injury, and yet Washington now is 6-6. Six and six. The route to 6-6 six and six has been rather circuitous, but Washington is at 6-6. Six and six. Ron Rivera on Monday on why Washington has been able to overcome all of its injuries this season. Well, I think part of it has been the depth. Um, you know, we, we've, we've been very fortunate. Our, our personnel department has done an excellent job for us. And, and, and like I said, last year, we, we, we did some good things and we were able to build upon it this year. Um, that's been good, I think. And then you, you got to give credit to the positional coaching. I think the coaches are, have done a really good job in preparation. Uh, you know, we've had good depth. We have players that, that, you know, we've been able to plug in and, and have them play because they've been ready to play. I think a little bit of it's the philosophy of the way we go through training camp. We try to make sure everybody gets an opportunity to rotate through and they're either playing with the first group or the th- second group. They're not always, you know, if they're a third string player or whatever, they're never not getting that opportunity to work with the first or second group. And that I think it gives us a chance to do some better evaluations. Um, and, 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 and then I think it's also the way the players rally around each other. I think that's also been very helpful. You know, um, I know you guys got the example a couple of weeks ago when, 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 when Keith Ishmael had to go in and play. He talked about how the guys around him just helped pick him up. Um, that's important. And I think that's, again, as I said, that's, that's a credit to, you know, what our personnel department has done. It, it's credit to what uh, the coaching has done. And then the players themselves. Um, I will say this, too. If you look at what the coordinators are doing, I think the coordinators are playing to our strengths as well. So the play calling has been, uh, you know, has been uh, conducive to us uh, having success. And speaking of the coordinators, offensive coordinator Scott Turner and defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio. You know, it hasn't always been easy to know how to feel about these guys. It's especially tricky with Scott because he's largely unproven and Washington's overall offensive output the last two seasons has not been great, but I do like a lot of what Scott Turner does schematically. Uh, A lot of motion. I love that. A lot of misdirection. I love that. Scott calls a lot of first down passes. Uh, I'm a big believer in that. You know, Jack Del Rio is obviously more established. He has a very good reputation. What went on with Washington's defense during the team's two and six start to this season did not reflect well on Jack at all. But this turnaround during the four game winning streak does reflect well on Jack. Rod Rivera on Monday on the work of Scott Turner and Jack Del Rio this season. And you'll hear Ron begin by talking about the three safety approach that Jack has been employing with Landon Collins, now playing his Buffalo nickel role, allowing Landon, Cameron Curl, and Bobby McCain to be on the field at the same time. Well, I think that's the biggest thing you got to give him credit for. I think, you know, especially on the defensive side with what we've done and, and how Jack has evolved that. I mean, we came into the season thinking we could do something like this, and then unfortunately it hadn't really came came to light. Um, so, you know, willing to change, willing to adapt, and then having to because the injury, I think, does show his versatility as a coach. Um, you watch Scotty and you go through what we went through and talked about as, as we were coming out of the bye about, you know, being able to run the ball, being able to use the play action pass, and then, you know, being able to, you know, wanting to spread certain defenses out. Um, you really have seen that kind of come to fruition. And, and you know, it's also some people understand, too, is, you know, you got to learn to fall in love with the, 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 the three-yard run. 
You know what I'm saying? The three-yard run. You know, if, if you ran two three-yard runs, you're now looking at third and four, you know, as opposed to being in, in, in third and ten. You know, it, it, so we've been able to do that. And, and, and I don't know if you saw, but there was something saying that, that, that Taylor's completion rate is in the 70s, uh, you know, and, and, and being very efficient these last several games, last four games or six games, whatever it is, he's been very efficient. And so if we're in the right down and distance, you know, we can exploit those situations and, and keep the chains moving, which we've been able to do the last four games as well. Yes, you have been. You could hear in that answer, Ron, perhaps telling us that Scott Turner is not in love with all of the running plays, but you also heard Ron reference Taylor Heineke's completion percentage. And I do want to note this. What Heineke is doing right now from a completion percentage standpoint is something else. So Taylor Heineke in the win at the Raiders completed 23 of his 30 pass attempts. That works out to a completion percentage of 76 Heineke during Washington's four-game winning streak has completed 92 of his 119 pass attempts. That works out to a completion percentage of 77.31. That is spectacular, people. And I know that completion percentage isn't everything for a quarterback. But completion percentage isn't nothing, okay? It's not something that you should, like, totally dismiss. And Taylor Heineke, who, remember, isn't very accurate, according to the daters, has a completion percentage of 77.31 during Washington's four-game winning streak. So much to like with the Washington football team right now. A lot of positive vibes and a monster game on Sunday against the Cowboys at FedEx Field. Well, it finally happened on Monday night. The Capitals in the 2021-2022 NHL regular season won a non-regulation game. Hallelujah! It finally happened. Uh, The Caps improved to 16-4-6 with a 4-3 shootout win over the Anaheim Ducks at Capital One Arena. This had been a strange deal, how the Caps overall had been really good this season, but had not done well in non-regulation games. The Caps this season had been 0-6 in games decided via overtime or shootout. Well, we now can make that record at 1-6. Defenseman John Carlson had the game-tying even-strength goal 1937 into the second period. And he had the game-winning goal in the shootout, which the Caps won 3-2. Carlson also had five shots on goal. He's number three among NHL defensemen this season in points with 24, six goals and 18 assists. But here was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Monday night on his Caps finally winning this season in a non-regulation game. You know, some of those games that we lost, I thought... I thought we played really well inside the game and, you know, you end up in overtime or in a shootout and it doesn't go your way. So it leaves a bad taste about the 60 minutes that were played. And I thought the 60 minutes were pretty good. But at the end of the day, there's still a point dangling out there and we haven't been able to get it done. So it was nice. It was nice today in a a game that was, you know, it wasn't our cleanest where we were able to get in overtime and shootout and get it done. 
Yeah, and the Caps having not won a non-regulation game this season until Monday night was more just a fluky thing than anything else. Like, I never took that to be some indictment of the Caps or some tell of some larger problem with the Caps, but it was annoying that the Caps had kept losing these non-regulation games. So the Caps get a win for the first time in seven non-regulation games this season, and the Caps now are back to being alone atop the NHL. Uh, The Caps have an NHL best 38 points. Now, the Caps also have a COVID-19 situation going on right now. Uh, The Caps on Monday night were without five key players, including three due to the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Garnett Hathaway did not play due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Nick Dowd did not play for a second consecutive game due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. And defenseman Trevor Van Riemsdyk did not play for a second consecutive game due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Caps are trying to make it through this, uh, trying to avoid having additional players be out due to the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Uh, Who actually has COVID-19 on the Caps versus who doesn't, we do not know. Uh, The NHL does have a strict COVID-19 protocol. So whether you love the NHL's COVID-19 protocol or you don't, I mean, this is the deal, okay? So you as a player sign up for this deal uh, if you're playing in the league amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. And so the Caps are doing their best right now uh, with what is a tricky situation. Caps took Sunday off out of an abundance of caution. Uh, There's that phrase that we've heard like 4 million times over the last, uh, what, year and a half or whatever it is, abundance of caution. Uh, And the Caps on Monday limited contact between players as best as the Caps could. But, you know, this is as the Caps, of course, have been without so many key players throughout this season. Uh, The Caps still have Anthony Mantha out indefinitely due to shoulder surgery that he underwent on November 5th. And the Caps have been without Nicholas Backstrom for the entire season. Uh, He has been out since the start of Capitals training camp due to ongoing rehabilitation on his hip. It's just amazing with the Caps because they recently have gotten back some of their injured players. You know, TJ Oshie has come back. Connor Sheary has come back. Defenseman Justin Schultz has come back. And as these guys come back, what happens? You have a COVID-19 situation pop up for the Caps. But the Caps did win on Monday night. Caps won the first period 1-0. We then had a total of five goals in a second period that the Ducks won 3-2. And we then had a scoreless third period and to scoreless overtime. Caps dominated the puck possession battle in the first period, though the puck possession battle uh, was even for the rest of the game. Caps for natural stat trick in that first period, 24 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Ducks, 16, including eight high danger 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Ducks, too. We had another terrific game for Alex Ovechkin. It's incredible, man. This guy, every game this season, it feels like, is doing really well. Ovechkin on Monday night, two assists, a game-high seven shots on goal, and a game-high 16 shot attempts. Uh, Ovechkin now this season, 20 goals and 21 assists through 26 Capitals games. I don't know if this is because Backstrom has yet to play this season or what, but Alex Ovechkin is an assist monster so far this season. 20 goals and 21 assists. He, on Monday night, became just the fourth player in the NHL over the last 25 seasons. So since the start of the 1996-1997 regular season, with at least 20 goals and at least 20 assists through his team's first 26 games in a regular season. That's kind of a random stat. I'll grant you that. But it speaks to the extent to which Ovi is racking up assists this season. The guy has 20 goals and 21 assists through 26 
Capitals games. Uh, also on Monday night, Carl Hagelin scored his first goal of the season. Uh, this was an even-strength goal, 358 into the second period. So Hagelin's two usual line mates are Nick Dowd and Garnett Hathaway. Well, both of those guys were out due to the NHL's COVID-19 protocol, but Hagelin finally scored a goal this season. He became the 23rd different Capitals player to score a goal this season. That's more than the number of different Caps who scored goals in all of last regular season. So that right there obviously speaks to how many rookies the Caps have had uh, to play this season due to all of the injuries and absences. And then there was a Caps goaltender on Monday night. Ilya Samsonov was the Caps starting goaltender for the eighth time in 10 games. He stopped 31 of the 34 shots on goal that he faced, but all three of the goals that he allowed came on high danger shots on goal. Samsonov, per natural stat trick, stopped just six of the nine high danger shots on goal that he faced. You know, as apparent as it is that Samsonov has surpassed Vitek Vanacek as a Caps number one goaltender, and as great as Samsonov's record on the season is, uh, Samsonov now is 11-1-1 this season. His save percentage on high danger shots on goal this season is just 8.10 as compared to Vanacek's 8.59. I do think save percentage on high danger shots on goal is a really good way of evaluating goaltenders. And Vanacek's save percentage on high danger shots on goal this season per natural stat trick, 8.59 as compared to Samsonov's 8.10. But the Caps did win uh, despite having three key guys out due to the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. More from LaViolette during his post-game press conference on Monday night. Well, we talk, talked about it a little bit. Like, there's been, you know, we we haven't we haven't made any excuses on why we can't be successful. And so that's a credit to the players and the guys in the room. Um, no matter who's put on the jersey for any given game, they have responded and um, they played really hard and they played really well. And so regardless of what's happened to us, we've been able to maintain a, a consistent level of play, and that's been successful for us. So that's that's 100% on the guys. And next up for the Caps is a big game. Uh, Caps don't have another game until Friday night. Probably a good thing given this COVID-19 situation, but that game on Friday night is a game against, or as they say in hockey, against the arch-rival Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, Caps will host the Penguins Friday night at 7. So the Capitals on Monday night notched their first non-regulation win of their season, and the Wizards on Monday night notched their first uh, three-game losing streak of their season. Yeah, things continue to not trend well for the Wizards. Uh, they fell to 14-11 and 11 with a 116-110 loss at the Indiana Pacers on Monday night. Wizards now are just 4-8 and eight since their 10-3 and three start to the season. And like I said, Wizards now have lost three consecutive games for the first time this season. Now, the Wizards were without Spencer Dinwiddie on Monday night. This was the second game of a set of back-to-back games. And so Spencer Dinwiddie did not play. He has not been playing in the second games of back-to-back games this season. Uh, Dinwiddie out due to what is called right knee injury maintenance. Remember, Dinwiddie suffered a partially torn right ACL uh, last December 27th. Wizards continue to be without Rui Hachimura and Thomas Bryant. Rui has yet to play this season Due to personal reasons, Bryant has yet to play this season due to his own partially torn ACL. Uh, Bryant partially tore the left ACL last January 9th, and the Wizards lost again 
on Monday night. Lost a third consecutive game, and the Wizards for a third consecutive game never led in the game after the first quarter. You know, it's one thing to lose three consecutive games. It's going to happen over the course of an NBA season, but the Wizards are getting rocked in these recent losses here. And this loss on Monday night came at a Pacers team that came into the game just 9-16 and 16 this season. This is not some great Pacers team at which the Wizards lost on Monday night. Uh, the Wizards in the first quarter led at 15-14, but then allowed the Pacers to go on a 33-16 run that put the Wizards down in the second quarter by 16 points at 47-31, and the Wizards trailed by at least 10 points for most of the second half. That final score of 116-110 is misleading in telling the story of this game. You also have this, another wretched start for the Wizards. The Wizards on Monday night scored just 18 first quarter points. Uh, the Wizards in their previous game, the 102-90 loss at the Toronto Raptors on Sunday evening, scored just 12 first quarter points. So the Wizards over their last two games have totaled 30 first quarter points. Not good. Uh, here was Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his post-game press conference on Monday night on these recent slow starts to games for the Wizards. Uh, you know, it's, it's a good question because uh, we try to evaluate, you know, is it something we're not doing? Uh, something that we're doing that's not working? Um, and we've seen it work. Nothing has really changed about how we We've, we're trying to play. It's just, um, you know, it's not in sync right now. So we got to find a way to kind of get our mojo back, uh, you know, playing with that, that energy and pace and, uh, you know, early thrust that we want to see, hopefully while minimizing the turnovers, you know, cleaning up some of the, uh, you know, some of the defensive mistakes, breakdowns, uh, those areas that hurt you, uh, obviously on the glass. I thought they were the you know more aggressive team. I know the numbers don't bear it out, but whether it was the second chance points or those 50-50 balls, a lot of those were timely plays when we're trying to make a run. Could never kind of get over that, that hump. No, you can't. Uh, both the Wizards and the Pacers on Monday night shot well, but the Wizards gave up a lot in the paint. Uh, the Wizards went 7 of 15 on threes. The Pacers went 9 of 23 on threes. The Wizards went 36 of 66 on twos. The Pacers went... 34 of 59 on twos. So each team was pretty efficient from a shooting perspective. Wizards got outscored in the paint 64-58. Wiz gave up 64 paint points on Monday night as the Wiz had a very hard time defending DeMontis Sabonis, who, yes, is a really good player. Uh, Sabonis on Monday night, 0 of 1 on threes, 11 of 14 on twos. He finished with 30 points, 10 rebounds, including four offensive boards, six assists, versus three turnovers, three steals, and a game-best plus-minus rating of plus 14. But the Wizards' defense is not where it was. Uh, the Wizards' defense was by far the biggest bright spot for the Wizards during their 10-3 and start. The Wizards' defense has fallen off since that 10-3 and start. More from Wes Jr. during his post-game press conference on Monday night. You know, the defensive side is, you know, it's still a bit, bit concerning. We've, we've been trending in the wrong direction in that area. So... We got to find a way to clean that up, get back to uh, how we play those first 10 to 12 games. You know, really we're heavily, heavily reliant on our defense. And I think at times, now that we're scoring a few points, we're, we're kind of taking a backseat to that. Yeah, and that's not good. I mean, that's reminiscent of way too many Wizards teams 
of the past. I mean, that was the thing during the 10-3 and start, right? Okay, the Wizards are off to this great start. Is this truly who they are, or is this just a really nice start for a Wizards team that's going to end up being more or less what we've grown accustomed to for years now? And, you know, I'm not ready to say that the Wizards are the same old Wizards this season, but what we're seeing lately uh, does remind you an awful lot of the same old Wizards. Uh, The Wizards lost on Monday night despite a big scoring night from Bradley Beal. It was good to see this. You know, Beal has not been great offensively so far this season, but Beal on Monday night, 34 points in 39 minutes, 15 seconds as a starter. He went one of three on threes, 11 of 16 on twos, and nine of 10 on free throws. Also had four assists versus one turnover. Uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope on Monday night, two of three on threes, but just one of eight on twos. He scored just eight points in 30 minutes, 54 seconds as a starter. Also had four assists versus three turnovers and three rebounds. Davies Bertans played for just three minutes, 23 seconds off the bench due to dealing with gastroenteritis uh, per the Wizards. And so with Davies ailing, Corey Kispert got some run. Corey Kispert is the guy who the Wizards took with the number 15 pick in the 2021 NBA draft at Gonzaga. Hasn't played a lot so far this season. He's supposed to be a three-point marksman, and he looked pretty good on Monday night. Two and two on threes, finished with 10 points in 19 minutes, 20 seconds off the bench. Next up for the Wiz, they will be at the Detroit Pistons Wednesday night at 7. All right, that will do it for you and me. But just for now, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 203, will feature not one, but two special guests. I will talk Washington football team, including Dallas Week, with the DOC, my former tag team partner on radio, the former Washington tight end, Rick Doc Walker. Few people get fired up for Dallas Week like Doc does. Very much looking forward to our conversation. And I will talk Maryland basketball, including the departure of Mark Turgeon as head coach with the man who Turgeon succeeded as Terps head coach, two-time Hall of Famer Gary Williams. You know, there are people suggesting that Gary should come back and be Maryland's head coach. We'll talk about that, Turgeon, and a lot more. Two big guests on Wednesday's show. Spread the word. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Rotimi Boomy.